Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, Edit Your Life friends, Christine here, and I am so excited for today's episode. It is the second episode of 2022, but it is my first episode on the mic with someone other than Asha Dornfest for this new year and this new chapter of the show. So hello, John Baxter. Welcome. Hi, Christine. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me as your first guest post-Asha. What a huge deal that is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a huge deal. And I've said um, in various places or written rather that it's a real strange feeling to both miss her on the mic and then also feel excited and energized for this transition and whatever's happening. So I don't know. I guess it is possible to it is possible to hold those two things because I am holding those two things for sure. I think that's a, a great way to think about it. And I just wanted to take a second to acknowledge the body of work that you two did together because, I mean, how many hundreds of episodes was it? Yeah, well, 253 uh, total. So it was a, it was a lot. <laughs> that's incredible. I mean, and that's amazing. And you two did great stuff. And I know there's more to come. And it's just very cool. So yeah, good for you. well, thank you. Thank you, John. Well, I think it was really fitting. I kind of unofficially put you on the hook to be the first guest, <laughs> you know, this momentous position um, at the end of last year. You are have always been actually one of our most requested guests from our Edit Your Life listeners or the Edit Your Life listeners. I need to stop using the plural. Um, and I will link all of those back episodes that you have uh, generously done with, uh, with us in the past in the show notes. Um, it's also worth noting that you and I have a one season relationships podcast called Hello Relationships, which is relevant to everything. And I guess the other thing I'll tee up in advance of this episode is that last at the end of last year, when I was preparing for Asha's departure, I put out a little survey. Uh, folks might be familiar with having completed it. And we were so grateful for all of the thoughts that came in on that. And a number of people, John, 
podcast specifically for you. So here you are. <laughs> oh, I'm blushing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I love this forum. I, I love, love my work. And it's also great to come out and speak and, um, you know, get to be in a different forum and have this sort of different, but still a very felt relationship with your listeners. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, for anybody who isn't familiar with John, I should say he is a licensed mental health counselor, incredibly talented, thoughtful person, also happens to be my favorite person on earth <laughs> as my husband. So um, we have a kind of multi-dimensional lens here. And I want to jump into the conversation because today's topic was really inspired by a listener, actually a couple of listener letters that I received at the end of last year. And it's about this collective exhaustion of this roller coaster of uncertainty we have all been on since March 2020. Um, So much stress, so much uncertainty. And the first uh, listener bit that I want to share is this person wrote, We are all going through a large traumatic event that has lasted 20 plus months. How can parents weather this storm? I, Mm. I mean, that's like the, the the, $10 million question, right? How the heck do we keep doing this? How do we keep going? So I think I really wanted to bring you in for this conversation because I know you have a lot of thoughts about trauma that were jumped out at me specifically as we were talking about this. I know it did for you. So Tell me about your thoughts about this. Oh, so much to say. Um, first thing, first, thank you. Thank you for inviting me into this conversation. Thank you to your listener for writing the question, putting to words what is the big question for all of us in some way. Um, I just sort of a brief note at the beginning, I would want to say, uh, let's take the word trauma very specifically because in my universe that means something very specific. And I think we should assume for this conversation that we're not talking about PTSD in a diagnosable way for most people. And we should talk for just a little bit at the end about what happens if that's, that is in fact what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, That kind of trauma involves nightmares and uh, hypervigilance and an exaggerated startle response and a real hyperactive nervous system uh, that can't settle down. And we may be talking about versions of that, but in my universe, I think a lot of people are using the shorthand uppercase T and lowercase T trauma. Oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about lowercase T trauma for now, because I think that's what the listener is is asking about in their Mm -hmm. question. Uh, when it comes to treating something that is diagnosable as PTSD or trying to heal that, um, there's some other things we should be talking about, including getting help from a professional. Right, right. Okay. So, so with that said, should we talk about chronic stress and lowercase t trauma and how the heck we keep going through all this? Yes, because I just want to add one little bit, one little thing, which is that I just saw yesterday, I don't know, it was a meme or something, but I think that I often think, you know, I have a thing about meerkats. I like meerkats. <laughs> and I used to have a giant Ner- Nervous little of buggers, aren't they? <laughs> they are nervous little buggers. Is that what you said? But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they, they are on high alert. I yeah. think I like them because of their protective nature. There's always yeah. somebody, one or more meerkats on the lookout. Yeah. And I think that is, that is part of what has contributed to this collective, longstanding, lowercase t feeling of trauma and exhaustion is this just constant vigilance. So I'm hoping you'll address a little bit about that. 
I love it. I love the image because if you contrast meerkats with the geese that I walk the dog past every morning, the flocks of geese that have taken over the neighborhood parks, um, geese also have a lookout. If Do you they really? That, for sure. Yeah, for sure. There's one or two who are always standing with their head up looking around while the other ones are eating mm. and pooping all over the place. That I, The difference, I don't know what the internal experience is of those animals, but as a human looking at them, my image of meerkats from whatever nature show I've seen them on is that they're quick and twitchy and ready to scramble off at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. Whereas the geese are kind of like lounging around and eating their grass and they're mildly bothered if you get too close to them. I mean, these particular geese are pretty used to the dogs running around and the people and they're pretty bold. Uh, we might actually think of that as a good example of uh, different states the human nervous system can be in. Because if you're feeling twitchy and like you're jumping at a moment's notice and every time the kids say something, you're irritable and the prospect of school being canceled next week is like sending you ready to run into your hole in the ground with the other meerkats. Uh, that's a state that is really hard to manage over time. And I'm raising my hand here. We can't see it in audio land, but I'm raising my hand. I think most of us have been there some of the time in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm the meerkat. Uh, so how can I be the, the goose? I want <laughs> The geese, while ornery and annoying, actually don't seem very stressed out about it at all. I was going to say they care not at all. So I was interested to hear you share that there is one looking around. Well, I- so I think that's the model. They look like they don't care, but they are, in fact, still paying attention as a group. There, There is still vigilance. It's just not, or awareness, we might say. So mm. I think that's, this is a, a fun, I hadn't thought about talking about it this way, but this is a fun way to do it. That, um, Part of figuring out how to not be overly stressed out in a stressful world is remembering that re- uh, relaxing the nervous system doesn't mean turning off your awareness. Ignoring the problems mm-hmm. don't generally make it go away. Sometimes distraction is helpful. So that distraction I would equate to nobody's really looking at the problem at all. And sometimes we need to go watch TV for an hour or do something different. But for the most part, we need to be looking at the problems. We got to figure out what we're doing with the kids. If you got to go to work and school's going to be canceled and holy cow, are they even learning anything? And uh, it's getting really stressful. We do have to solve it, but the twitchy, jumpy, freaked out energy doesn't actually help us solve it very much. Right. So would you say that, I'm just trying to think of a concrete example. So yeah. if you had to choose door A, which is perhaps doom scrolling versus <laughs> I you know, yeah, door good. B, where you yeah. could do some kind of um, engaged activity that would not continue to contribute toward your twitchiness. That's kind of what you're saying we should be doing, right? For sure. And at the base level, the advice that I think people in my universe have to give, including me, is pretty unsatisfying because we've heard it all before. Mm. Because the answers are not super complicated, actually. They are the things we've heard. They are yeah. eat good food. Drink a lot of water, get exercise, get rest, uh, um, be with in good relationship. Uh, sometimes doing creative, uh, you know, something that is creative, listening to music. Those are the things that shift the state of the being. But the yep. trick here, of course, is it's like your doctor telling you to eat better and exercise more. Like, how do we actually do those when the nervous system's already in a state? that says, I'm so agitated, I couldn't possibly imagine sitting down to read a book or even 
uh, going for a run. And the nature of the dilemma we're facing right now cuts us off from so much human contact or, or add stress to it. Am I allowed to go see a friend or not? Or are we going to be breathing COVID on each other? Mm-hmm. I think that's the art of this is to figure out how do I use the tools that I know we have mm. while I, to bring myself back to, to use our earlier metaphor, more of the goose state and less of the meerkat state. Mm. All right. Well, clearly I'm going to need to make a promo graphic for this episode with meerkats <laughs> and geese on it. Um, I think this is awesome, and we are going to, I believe, talk about some practical tactics and and ideas, which we'll do a little bit later, but we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Are you, like pretty much every parent of younger kids I know, looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids? Designed for kids ages six and up, Mysteries About True Histories, also known as Math, How Smart Is That?, is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more, all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, friends. We are back. We are here with my favorite therapist in the world, Jonathan Baxter. Hi, John. Hi. <laughs> and my mind is filled with animal imagery right now, but I'm going to try to focus and bring it back <laughs> to the task at hand. Um, and that is the real anxiety, the overwhelm, the lowercase trauma that people are feeling. And I wanted to share a note I received from a listener about anxiety. This person wrote, my current pain point is overwhelm, anxiety, and burnout after navigating almost two years of a pandemic on top of the everyday overwhelm and burnout of working, raising teens, and navigating relationships. I know it's really playing havoc with my general sense of anxiety. I don't think there's an answer, but just hearing that I'm not alone is helpful. And I just want to comment on this because I think I'm, I'm having a lot of visual imagery today, John, and this one I'm thinking about like a cup that's pretty full. <laughs> Like, Mm. you know, this person references already feeling overwhelmed by just 
everyday life, raising teens and working and all that stuff. And now the cup is literally spilling over with overwhelm and anxiety with all the stuff layered on top of the normal baseline. So I would love to hear about your thoughts about how to navigate this anxiety. I know we were talking some about this before the break, but what would you say to this person who feels overwhelmed alone, though knowing that people are also feeling the same? Yeah. I mean, the great question, great image The first thing is, of course, you're not alone. And in so many ways, the experiences that this person's describing are completely expectable, normal, reasonable reactions. It's not like deep, dark pathology to be stressed out and overwhelmed by what we're going through. Because let's remember, it's not just 20 months of pandemic and life shaking up. It's also the political climate in the country. It's the Mm -hmm. uh, sense of impending conflict that's hanging around for anybody who reads the newspaper or news online anywhere. The, um, it occurred to me as I was thinking about this conversation that if we all think back to what it was like in the household or the spaces in which we grew up and then think about what it was like when conflict erupted, when you heard arguing voices, mm-hmm. never a good thing, right? Nobody wants to be around conflict. For some people, that actually portended violence and real physical danger. For other people, uh, it came with a sense of real dread. A lot of us in sort of New Englandy cultures, uh, I think, who are less versed at experiencing our emotions deeply and fully, are actually afraid of the emotion itself. Even if nobody's afraid, uh, you're not really afraid that violence going to is going to erupt. Uh, my point is when there's all this conflict hanging around all the time, it sets our nervous systems on edge in various ways. Mm-hmm. So, And we are, I don't know, years and years into feeling a ton of conflict simmering around all the time in this country, which uh, is more than we are designed to handle. And that's really the point that I want to make, that anxiety, uh, overwhelm, all that stuff, that is the physical body getting ready to do something. Mm-hmm. And that's what the stress response in the body is all about. And maybe we've talked about this before. I'm going to repeat it again. That when something happens in the world that we detect as being stressful, our body uh, changes state in order to get ready to physically mobilize because we evolved in environments where you had to run away from bears and tigers. Mm-hmm. And physical response is what we needed. When the superintendent of school sends out the email saying, well, it looks like we're going to cancel school next week you don't actually need adrenaline and cortisol to meet that response. We don't need physical reactions usually to the stressors in our lives. Most of us, Mm -hmm. some of us do, most of us don't, Uh, but we still get them. So that is the sense of chronic stress that we have, that our bodies keep getting ready for something uh, bad to happen. And the hard challenges we're facing don't ever actually complete that physical response. Yeah. Should we pause there for a second and just, yeah. I know you want to ask questions about that well, or I know this is a little luxury, but I think it's important for people to understand that the body is doing something mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily relate to the level of the threat that's happening. Mm, yeah. Well, the reason I'm pausing and sort of um, percolating over on this side is that 
I think I referenced them in the first episode of the last year of this new year um, in last week's episode, but I wrote a couple of, I guess I'd call them micro essays. Um, mm. And at the beginning of this year, and one of them talked about the body being the ultimate barometer for how we're feeling and what we're dealing with. And in this, among other things. And, and then in the second one, I was talking about or writing about how the the body will, if you have struggled with emotions, like you know I have, listeners know I have, I talk about it all the time, then typically I have treated the suffering in my body with a really angry response. A like, mm. you know, WTF, why are you doing this to me? Don't I give mm. you enough? Like that kind of, which isn't a particularly loving way to approach one's body. <laughs> mm. um, so anyway, my point was that I was, I've been working on, trying to approach with more of an acceptance model, not resignation, but a, actually, I'm sure I learned this from you at some point, John, more of a, I see that you're trying to tell me something or I hear, I feel very deeply that you're trying to tell me something. And so I wonder if part of people's journey with dealing with this anxiety is, is listening Mm. and, um, you know, thinking about obviously some of the things that the body is telling us are, are very, or our emotional states are quite obvious. We're stressed and we're frustrated and all that. But I guess my point is trying to identify those little things that you can do to make your body feel loved and held at this Mm. time when it doesn't, things feel really bad. What do you think about that? I'm really just spitballing here. Yeah. I think it's great. I think I might use the term like self-compassion or self-love. I, as I'm thinking about this conversation for parents in particular, you know, I also think teachers, healthcare workers, lots of people, uh, especially those who are looking at other, at the people around them, our kids, our students, and saying, I have to prioritize them in some way. Mm-hmm. Then when you feel anxious and stressed out and your body isn't doing what you want it to do, that becomes an ob- obstacle to you getting done what you feel like you need to get done. So you end up with your own beat pulling against your own being that we've used yeah. the metaphor of driving with the brake on, right? Mm-hmm. You're you got the car idling, you're stepping on the gas, you're stepping on the brake at the same time. Uh, it's creates all this tension in, in the system. Uh, self-compassion, forgiveness for the self. There is, is, you said the magic word in there, acceptance, the acceptance of, okay, this is who I am right now. I think is is the um, could reasonably be considered the core of emotional facility, like emotional ability. Oof, yeah, that, yeah. That actually, real distress is never emotion by itself. It's the resistance to emotion. Even heavy duty sadness, uh, even real anger, like those things can be passed through in a very natural way, at least I'm going to say like theoretically, because it's not like I have this mastered in some sort of way, Uh, but it's the moment where we say, I don't want to be feeling this or it's not okay to be feeling this, that I feel like we're both, uh, the body's coming up to do something and we're stamping down on it at the same Mm. time. And that is exhausting. I can feel it just talking about it. Yeah. It feels uh, quite familiar. Um. so, (laughs) So, so we might talk about in practical terms, like, um, sometimes I think about like shaking these experiences loose instead of trying to 
uh, transform something major because it feels like the big obstacles are unchangeable. But if you think of your body as the place where the distress lives, then sometimes letting go a little and then trying to make change a little bit. This is, um, think about something being stuck, a car stuck in the mud. You rock it forward a little and then roll it back and rock it forward and roll it back. Uh, the practice of getting out of a sense of overwhelm, if it's not as simple as take a nap or take a break or whatever, it might be uh, eat a little food, get a little exercise. It might be try to relax and say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pick something on my list that I can not do today and cross that off. And then I'm going to do the hell out of this other thing over here. And that alternating experience of letting go and being active, uh, I think, is uh, can create movement where there was stuckness. Mm. Yeah, I really like that. Um, I also recommend the good cry or maybe the <laughs> scream in the car. I've done that. Like yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah. They are cathartic in their own ways. Yeah. Uh, a, a comically exaggerated groan. I like that one. Oh Put yeah, your hand the groan on your is good. Yeah, I, I mean because it leads to laughter too, which I think is like, also good. a very yes. important thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Well, since we're talking about acceptance, actually, there was something else I wanted to address, and I, I just kind of feel like I need to keep like underlining with a highlighter that we're not talking about being resigned or giving up. It's it's mm. it's um. Accepting the state of things. Do you think listen- people mix that up? Do you think people hear the word acceptance and think instead that means like I have to tolerate something that I hate? Yeah, I I have thought that in the past. I have to you know shift my mindset on that sometimes. Um, it's, it's um it's a semantic thing, right? That I think I've used the word acceptance enough that it has a felt sense to me of relief when I think about it. Okay, and I don't have to fight this thing where it is. Uh, yeah, versus I'm still a work in progress. John, re- you know resignation. That. <laughs> Oh, I mean, well, I wish I could do it easily, but yeah. <laughs> but but the the language helps, right? Mm-hmm. If you think acceptance is actually the sensation of letting go of fighting something, mm. and it's um, if you, like dramatic, a dramatic image would be like clinging to the side of a riverbank in you know in in the a raging river, but with no way to get out of the river, and mm-hmm. at some point you have to let go of the side of the riverbank and let the current carry you. And trust that you'll be able to come back up in another spot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I, oh my gosh, so much imagery in this episode is crazy, but I want to talk about acceptance a, a little bit further because one thing that came up in one of the listener letters was asking for thoughts about how to accept limitations caused by the pandemic, which I didn't even remember this, but this was apparently something you and I talked about on Hello Relationships. <laughs> and uh, we were realizing that was actually 2020. So it's you know, been a while. Year and a half, right? Yeah. So I was wondering if you could offer some guiding thoughts on accepting sadness. I know we've talked a bit about this already, but accepting sadness and loss as part of this proactive solution. Yeah. Uh, so I, um, I'm going to assume in a lot of cases, accepting loss is the same thing as, as allowing yourself to have the sadness of it. That actually the emotions are the things to work through here. Since, you know, I thought I was thinking about what we talk about and it occurred to me that some people in college take a class in a topic called logic, where it's oftentimes in a philosophy department where the teachers are actually trying to teach the students a way to think. They're saying you should think this way. I feel like what we're talking about here is like a way to feel, 
We're actually trying to do mm-hmm. instructional education about feelings. And uh, moving through sadness, I think, is the same thing as accepting the, uh, the reality that is somehow less than what you thought it was going to be. Yeah. And that is a really powerful tool. If we're not afraid of being sad, if we know that sadness is time limited, it's not that this situation is sad. It's that I am sad right now and I won't be sad later. Like I need to grieve that Mm -hmm. my kid doesn't get a birthday party again this year or that uh, all these things that I hoped would happen during my kid's high school graduation now didn't happen. And, you know, your developmental years of their life are different than what I thought they were going to be. That changes uh, for each of us lives in our own sense of expectations. Yes. And I think, I suppose if you allow for the feelings of sadness and embrace them as something normal and part of the equation of being a human being, would you, would you agree that perhaps that allows you to feel hope and feel like things are going to be okay at some point, you know, maybe not, I, it might I, not feel I that way immediately, but it, at least say that I don't think you can feel hope while the sadness is still pressing on you. Yeah. And that might be a little linear, but like, I, I think the sense of, I need to grieve this is a thing that has to be moved through. I mean, you can try to compartmentalize it, but it'll be lingering around uh, unless you uh, move through it. And until then, it's hard to feel hopefulness about whatever the next thing is. It's even hard to be creative about mm-hmm. what solutions could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Wow. Okay. Well, John, I want to talk about some practical tactics. I have a few, and I know you have some. I'm sure you have some. Um, but I we're going to take a quick break and then get to that. Welcome back, friends. I'm here with Jonathan Baxter, and we are talking about navigating and weathering this uh, period of or seemingly endless window of pandemic stress and uncertainty. And we've talked about a lot of things in this episode already, John. Many animal-oriented things. I hadn't, who would have thought? (laughs) But um, I wanted to move on to the practical stuff in this back half, half of the episode. We talked at the front of the show about or you talked about how the advice that is typically given about things you should do sometimes feel really unsatisfying because we kind of know we should do them, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I still want to talk about them Mm -hmm. (laughs) or talk about things that are, you know, you're finding helpful or that you're advising in your practice. So hit me up with one of your favorite practical coping strategies. Sure. Sure. And I think it's totally our job to try to figure out how to be creative about those things instead of just saying, yeah. hey, you should quit smoking. How mm-hmm. uh, we have to figure out what is the next best right step to move even a baby step in that direction. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's one that I would say to follow up on our recent, uh, we were just discussing about uh, sadness and loss. Um, and I'll describe an exercise that I've done that actually I think you could just do a really short version of. The exercise is to write down on note cards a bunch of different elements of your own identity. So I'm a father, I'm a therapist, I'm a spouse, uh, I'm an outdoors person, I'm a musician, I'm all these things. Uh, and then sit quietly and stack, stack up your note cards, sit quietly, look at each one, one at a time, take one off the top of the deck, and look at it, and then set it aside and imagine that you are not that. 
that that part is just gone from who you are Mm -hmm. and see what that feels like. And then once you're done with that, you've done that for a minute or so, look at the next one and imagine what it would be like to not be that and set it aside. This is a, a Buddhist exercise that you go through in an effort, I think, to uh, see what the different elements of what your identity are like and what it, what's there when you take them away. Hmm. Uh, it can be emotional. You don't have to do it as in-depth as what I just described. You could just take one thing and say, hey, I imagined that um, I was going to get to be part of my kid's high school lacrosse team or something like that, you know, and go to all the games. And now that season's been canceled. Just imagine what it's like to not have that. And if what comes up is a lot of sadness, then go ahead and write about your sadness. Talk to somebody about it. It, it can almost guarantee you that for just about everybody, losing that element of their identity does not destroy who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a big, heavy thing in some ways, but it also is incredibly liberating yeah. to realize that you aren't the things that you think make up your life. If you want to, at the end of the activity, you can take them back on. You can take the cards and go in mm-hmm. the other direction and put them back on. They will still be there when you're done with the activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the pandemic is kind of forcing us to do some of this. Mm-hmm. And so one thing we could do is take the bull by the horns and consciously imagine it for ourselves. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's awesome. I love that. Hi there. I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I wanted to share, um, since, you know, to keep 
focused on the self, I guess. This time last year, I realized I shared a graphic about what I call protective and restorative care. It's kind of a more wordy reflection, but to me, a little more, a little bit more accurate representation of the term self-care. And I'll share it in the show notes, but I think what I would encourage people to think about is really, you know, what are these things as we think about how to take care of ourselves right now? Um, you know, what are the things that we can do to protect ourselves? So I was saying things like, you know, setting boundaries around your time and energy or limiting social media that makes you feel crappy, like that kind of stuff mm. versus the restorative side, which is focusing your energy on loving relationships and leaning into multisensory activities that feel good. I kind of feel like both things need to be working in tandem mm. at the same time. And that's not me giving people more stuff to do. That's just saying that the na- the natural ebb and flow of how we operate, we kind of need to, again, if I'm envisioning, um, you know, kind of holding, we need to hold that space for ourselves in order to, you know, to put the good things, have room to put the good things in. That's kind of like edit your life 101. So I just wanted to call to that again, because I think right now, especially is, and for parents, you know, I'm obviously hearing this a lot. It's such a time of outpouring of energy to take care of everybody else. And so this is just a gentle reminder to that it's, it's very good and very necessary to prioritize your protective and restorative care. I like the balance for you, Christine, in particular, because your nature is to do so much. And, you know, maybe this is the core of edit your life is to do what matters, not just to do everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really does feel like I heard somebody say developmentally as people that the first thing you learn as a child is to say yes to the world. As a baby, you learn to eat receive food Mm. and the next thing you learn to do is say no (laughs) no i don't want to do that (laughs) and that balance and we wrestle with that our whole lives and you have to say no to some things to say yes to other things and maybe for you and your listeners who have a similar outlook it's giving yourself permission in some ways yeah to say uh no i don't have to do these things and even i'd even like gently suggest it's okay to say for your kids like no, you, you're not going to do these things that we also have to model that for them, that our kids are resilient and uh, can handle and even need to be encouraged mm-hmm. to say no to some things. Yeah. John, I would love to hear your thoughts, a practical piece of advice you might issue to people regarding relationships, because we know obviously relationships are really important and also mm-hmm. they can be really hard and, as you mentioned earlier, we know relationships are important, and yet now there's all this uncertainty about how we can safely be with people. So mm. what are your thoughts there? All right, so two things come to mind just quickly. Uh, boy, there's so much to be said. Um, I, the first one, I'm not sure this is this what you're really asking, but it, it popped to mind, so I want to say it. Uh, I wonder if now's the time to actually think about like meeting new people making new friends. Maybe people are going to say, that's crazy. We don't allowed to go out anywhere. But actually, I don't know, at least my experience has been that it's a time of shifting networks. Mm-hmm. That there's, um, 
I don't know. Maybe it's just the kids grow, and so you get different developmental phases, or maybe you tend to meet people who are more at a similar level of sensitivity to mask wearing or not mask wearing or whatever. There's kind of a different sorting of people in some way. But I feel like the pandemic has a, been a great time to like. I would love to look back and say, "Hey, it was during the pandemic that we made, met and became friends." Yeah. Uh, sure. So being open to new relationship is one thing that I would say, maybe even seeking out, like, uh, are there people who I'd want to have contact with? Maybe, maybe what I'm sensing is their feeling is that a smaller meetings are better and safer now or have been in the pandemic. There's not a lot of big parties going on. Uh, so it's a time to maybe make more uh, uh, closer, more intimate connections with people who you haven't necessarily met before in that kind of intimacy. Hmm. Yeah. Well, as you know, my normal tendency would not be to be meeting people, but mm. it's occurring to me as I was listening to you talk that um, I think you know that I have this. I'm part of this secret author group. <laughs> I guess it's not that secret because it's not much of a secret, <laughs> is it? <laughs> um, but these are all. This group came together during the pandemic. Uh, it was during 2020, and with the exception of maybe two people in this group of, I don't know how many, it's like a dozen, it's more than a dozen, I think people. Um, I didn't, I didn't know most of them. I had never met them. I was not familiar. I was familiar with some of their work, but not all of them. And we meet every other week on zoom. So most of these people I've never met in person either. And I feel so deeply connected to and mm. invested in them. Mm. And the feeling goes the same way. You know, I went, gosh, it makes me a little teary just thinking about it, but hasn't been the easiest time and we've always lifted each other up. So mm. I guess, I guess I, I was normally Christine robot. Christine would say, ah, I don't know, meeting new people. That sounds really hard, but I'm going to back up your recommendation because I, <laughs> I think it's a good one. <laughs> I guess that's all I'm saying. Um, the other a lot, thing of, I, lot of tears on that microphone for a robot over there. I know. What have, what have you done to me, John? Good Lord. I think this is me, huh? Yeah, I think it's you. I think it's you. Uh, and maybe my emotional feelings chart in my office. The other nuance, though, I did want to bring up was that one thing around the holidays that became sort of tactically clear to me was that I think it's really, um, I guess I'm going to recommend to lean into those existing relationships you have with people who really fill you up and really care about you and who understand where you, you are at. And for me that played out as, okay, who do I feel comfortable asking to rapid test before we get together? Mm. <laughs> Which is sort of a, I mean, it's a very of the moment litmus test, but I think that even though I'm definitely pro working on hard things with relationships that, need attention sometimes solidarity and just being in that ultimate comfort zone with other people is really really life-giving so maybe one want that relief from the sense of the sort of lingering question of uh do we agree about this or are we safe together yeah it seems to always be hovering around there's so much anger under the surface right now there's oh, so yeah. much how dare you tell me what i should do or how dare you not tell me or whatever you know uh, wear the mask, don't wear the mask, uh, vaccine, don't vaccine, whatever. So maybe the, you're talking about the kind of relief that comes when you get to turn off your caution about that sometimes. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, any final thoughts, John, regarding practical stuff? We have to sign off soon. So. Yeah, there's so much. Um, it's, I guess I, I will make one more plug. You asked about relationships, and I will uh, make a plug for our primary relationships. That marriage or primary partnership is where so many of us do so much of our work. And I don't mean this to be exclusionary to those who are not coupled at the moment, but uh, or plan with any plans to be coupled. But for those of us who are, uh, boy, what an adventure in the last couple of years. It mm-hmm. does really, you know, I use a lot of metaphors about being in a canoe with another person or uh, you know, really counting on each other moment to moment and uh, deeply influencing each other the way two people in a canoe do. Um, this has felt more like that than ever. Uh, I think that it's a great time to ask ourselves, like, how are our marriages or our partnerships changing over the course of this time? And be conscious of it. Be intentional. Be saying, wow, I, this is um, different than what I expected in some way. We've grown apart in these ways. We've grown together in these ways. Um, I've come to trust this or I've come to doubt this. Like, I think this is a great time to assess what for many of us has been a very intense uh, focusing of the of pressures on the primary relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Just like feelings are okay, changes are okay. <laughs> so. For sure. I mean, it's not if you're not working at it, it's not growing, right? Yeah, like, yeah. There's one thing at the beginning I mentioned that I said I hope we'd come back to, and I'll just say it briefly without trying to make it a big topic here. Uh, the original listener listener letter referenced trauma, and I just want to say that um, we've talked about I think lowercase t trauma in this episode. For those who are experiencing uppercase T trauma, uh, who are really feeling chaotic inside, who are having, you know, for whom seeing all the conflict in the news is actually stirring up an internal experience that results in sleep loss, uh, in heightened irritation, in uh, quickness to lash out, a sense of feeling out of control, Um, may include nightmares, flashbacks, things like that. PTSD and whether it's, you know, fully meets that threshold for diagnosis or not is a treatable thing. It is a healable thing. And I just want to keep saying that over and over again. Uh, The problems that look so huge in our experience are so often a product of our own nervous system, even if they didn't start there. They have started with somebody else's bad acts uh, or just the world's difficulty. Uh, At the point at which it's our nervous system that has soaked it in, that feels terrible, but it actually means you have some power because it's within you to experience it and work with it. So mm. it's super hard to find a therapist right now, but don't give yeah. up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's let's hear your next edit, John. As you might recall, this is um, a very tactical, actionable thing. Recommendation from you for listeners. That could be something they consider doing after they uh, hang up their earpods or iPods or whatever you, whatever one Mm -hmm. uses to listen to things. So what is your next edit in the context of our conversation today? Boy, I can't resist the urge to go back to our original uh, imagery of geese and meerkats. Um, What I would say is the next time you go out for a walk, the next time you hear some news about some conflict in the world, which will probably be like seconds from now, uh, the next time you get some sense of like, Somebody saying, hey, can I go to, over to my friend's house, even though you know that the friends, somebody in there has COVID recently or you've had COVID recently. Um, I would say 
scan your body for that alarm response and remember that image of the goose looking around going, huh, a threat, but not really feeling agitated by it. And the image of the meerkat ready to scramble and jump at a moment's notice. And see if you can take a breath, inhale, exhale. One good way to do it is in through the nose, hold it for a second or two, and then blow out as if you're blowing out through a straw. And see if you can be a little more like that calm and cool and slightly ornery goose who's going to say, we'll deal with this when we need to. I'm never going to go on another dog walk without looking at those geese in a different way. This is like... (laughs) I don't even particularly like the geese. I don't either, but But, now I respect. I I, I do admire that they are really not bothered. (laughs) Yeah. John, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you getting on the mic with me and being my first guest of 2022. You're very welcome. It's an honor. All right, friends, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.